Good morning, everyone. I want to ask everyone to stand. Sing this with me. Lord, how you love me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. How sweet, how sweet the sound, once lost, now found, heaven came down and grace rescued me hallelujah i am free from my sin and penalty at the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace again. Lord, how you love me, I don't deserve grace on top of grace. More than I've asked for, more than I'm worth, grace on top of grace. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I am free from my sin and penalty. At the cross you took my place with your grace on top of grace with your grace on top of grace this morning, especially if you believe that. Before I call, before I ever 
answer me from where the thunder hides you can't outrun this heart I'm tethered to every step I collide with you like a tidal wave crashing over me rushing in to meet me Like a hurricane that I can't escape, tearing through the atmosphere. Your love is fierce. You cannot fail. Only thing I found is through it all. You never let me down. You don't hold back, relentless in pursuit. Every turn, I come face to face with you. Like a tidal wave, crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurt. That I can't escape Tearing through the atmosphere Your love is fierce You chase me down You seek me out how could I be lost when you have called me found? You chase me down, you seek me out. How could I be lost when you have called me found? You chase me down, sing it out to him. How could I be lost when Like a tidal wave crashing over me, rushing in to meet me here. Your love is fierce, like a hurricane that I can't escape, tearing through the atmosphere. Your
darkness my god that is who you are you are way maker miracle work promise keep light in the darkness my god that is who you are you are here you're touching every heart I worship you, I worship you, you are here, you're healing every heart, I worship you, I worship you, you are here, you're turning lives around. Two. 
don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. See it out. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop. Worthy of every breath. 
Can you smile for me this morning? Good, because you don't know how intimidating it is to be up here looking at you when you're looking like that. I'm just telling you. So, and then I'm about to ask a guest to come up here, and I don't want him to be scared like I am every week. So, show, show some love to my friend Ricky. Ricky's going to uh, speak to us again. He was here last week. He's planning a church in Borger, uh, Redeemer Borger, and their, their launch date is January of 2021. So, coming up, and uh, he's in the Redeemer Network, and they've encouraged him to just get some time in the pulpit sharing the Word of God, and he's doing a great job. And so, let's just encourage him today and hear what God has to say through our brother Ricky. Let's give him a welcome. Good morning. As we were singing the, the Waymaker song, I heard a little voice behind me singing it, and it got me right in the feels um, to hear children sing uh, the praises of our King is just, just different. Um, I don't know what it is about the second service, but y'all just seem taller. Um, it's just... Could have a basketball team from second service. Well, the title of this message this morning is God's Plan for God's Glory. God's Plan for God's Glory. And it seems as though things, just like Pastor Shane was talking about, things are at such an unrest at the moment. There is a tension in the air that's thick, it's palpable, and it cannot be escaped. If you spend any time on social media or watching the news, you get an overwhelming view of perspective from one party and not the other, or maybe vice versa. Since the middle of March, we have been stuck in between what we think we know and what others say is right. So my question is this morning, where do we turn? To what do we anchor ourselves to? Or what awaits us around the proverbial corner? So if you would this morning, turn to Habakkuk, which is a minor prophet. Habakkuk chapter 2, we're going to look at just one verse there, uh, verse 14, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. And as we look at, just to give you some background about what's happening in the story of Habakkuk, it, this verse is sandwiched in the middle of chapter 2, and Habakkuk has this hopeful view as he talks about having this, this view from this, this outpost or this tower as he watches and he complains to the Lord about all the evil that he sees taking place in that day. And then also reminding us to be silent before the Lord. That's where we find Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. So somewhere in between 640 and 609 BC, we get to see this conversation that takes place between God and the prophet Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is built a little differently. If you read through some of the major and the minor prophets, it's this conversation that we see taking place between God himself and Habakkuk. And kind of the rhythm that gets set for us here is that Habakkuk complains to the Lord about all the evil that he sees, all the injustice, and why don't you do something about it? And the Lord answers him. And again, Habakkuk complains and laments before the Lord. He grieves for his people and for God's glory. And God patiently responds to Habakkuk and reminds him in chapter 1 that he is doing things that he would not believe if he were even told. God tells him. So let's stop there for just a minute. As we look at this conversation that's taking place, let's stop there for just a minute and be reminded 
that the sovereign God of the, the sovereign God of our universe has set a sovereign plan in motion. And if he is sovereign, then we can trust that he is in control of all things, that his eyes are in every place. The Bible tells us, the book of Proverbs tells us that he owns all the knowledge to be known. This is a God that can be trusted. The little g-gods in our lives cannot be trusted. They fail us time after time after time, but we can trust the God of the Bible. If we look at Psalm 46.10, you don't have to turn there, but if you look, there's this command to be still and know that I am God. And so often this verse has been hijacked by coffee cups or by planners, and it, it, it's just singled out as this verse that, God, I just need you to, to just center me right now because there's all this craziness going on. My kids won't listen, whatever it is. And yes, the Holy Spirit comforts us. He counsels us. He convicts us. But that's not what Psalm 46.10 is saying. God is telling the psalmist here, he's saying, look what I have done. Look what I have done. Be still because you are not God and I am. What I say goes. So you need to be still and like Job, put your hand over your mouth because I am God and you are not. So maybe we just need to take a moment this morning and be reminded and put in our place about who we serve. The God of heaven and earth, creator of all things good, is not some genie that we summon whenever we need something. Or he's not waiting for us to be uncomfortable so that he can adjust the temperature. He is God, and we are not. He is eternal, and we are but a vapor on the earth. So look with me, if you would, at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14. It says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So like I said earlier, this verse seems a little out of place in the middle of Habakkuk chapter 2. And especially in the middle of a woe to the Chaldeans. These people who God sends to punish the evil in Judah. God is saying there, there's this woe that's happening, this warning that's taking place. But it's placed there to remind us to stop and to know that God has enacted a plan for his eternal purposes. And it echoes Isaiah 55:11, where it says that whatever God speaks, it will not return to him void. That whatever he says, it will return to him, accomplishing the purposes on which it set out to do. So it's best this morning if we have some definitions here as we talk about the word glory. How do we define God's glory biblically? If we look at Isaiah chapter 6, we see that Isaiah is mourning the loss of King Uzziah. And as he enters into the temple, he sees God himself high and lifted up. And the train of his robe fills the temple. And these, there's these two angelic-like creatures flying above the temple, crying out to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, and the whole earth is full of his glory. And the reason they say holy three times is not just to say it, but they're pointing us to something. 
That God is holy, holier, holiest, and there is no one above him. They take it to the superlative degree that there is no one higher than our God. That is what holy, holy, holy. And they they don't say the, the whole earth is full of his holiness. Or the whole earth is full of his justice or his mercy or his wrath. They say the whole earth is full of his glory. So to define God's glory, it is his holiness, semicolon, his holiness, his perfection on display. It is his infinite beauty and worth seen by creation. To put it simply, it is his holiness gone public. The question posed to us by the divines of Westminster is what is the chief end of man? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. The very purpose that God has given his people is to bring him glory and to enjoy him forever. That is our purpose as his people. So if we look at God's eternal plan for his glory, how do we see in our verse the knowledge of the glory of the Lord cover the earth? We see from the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and 2 that God creates a very good world. And we break that very good world. We fracture the relationship through Adam, through the first Adam. We fracture that relationship with our disobedience. God says no, and we say yes. And that relationship is fractured, and God sets in motion a plan that he had planned from the very beginning to redeem and rescue a people for himself, for his glory. We look in Genesis chapter 15, we see this story that takes place with a man named Abraham who God sends out and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make an agreement with you, a covenant with you. Go and look up into the night sky and you see all those stars in the night sky. This is what your people, your, your, your inheritance will be like. You can't even count them. And then in Exodus chapter 3, we see that God calls Moses, whom he would use to deliver his people from Pharaoh's house of slavery and thus enter into an agreement with his people on Mount Sinai and give them the law in that place. The law is a very good thing for us to have. And then the people of Israel cry out for judges and they cry out for kings in the books of history. And time after time, they are led into captivity as their hope is misplaced. And then God sends prophets that the people kill and malign. That the prophets come and they say, repent for your sinners, repent for our God is holy. And they kill and malign the mouthpieces of God himself. And there's this constant tension. There's a longing, there's a pointing forward to the coming king who would come and restore things that are broken and forgive sin. Then there's this moment of silence where God no longer speaks through his prophet. And then we see hope awakening 
And the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as they tell this story about a a baby who was born in a manger, and the angels cry out, glory to him in the highest. For this day, a savior is born to you. And the gospel narratives tell us about Emmanuel, God with us, this Messiah who is here at last. And here is where we need to anchor ourselves to. Here is what all of these stories are pointing us forward to, is that Jesus came as a very real person 2,000 years ago in the flesh, just like you and I, and earned the righteousness that you and I could not earn through his life, through his death, through his burial, through his resurrection. That is the good news of the gospel. That is what all those people were waiting for that day was for Christ the King to come and forgive the iniquity of them all. And before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, we see in Matthew 28 and in Luke 24, Jesus says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And in Luke 24, he says, You are my witnesses. And the disciples are sent out in that moment. And that is where we find our place in this narrative, church. That one of those 11 disciples, as they were sent out, and and in Matthew 28, it actually says that even some doubted. But they were still sent out. They, They went out and they planted churches. And they made disciples. And they planted churches and established churches and established leaders in those places. Until the gospel was preached and it reached into the Americas. And then the the churches were planted continually until a church was planted about 16, 17 years ago here in Canyon, Texas, that we know as Living Water Fellowship. Isn't it crazy to think for just a moment that Living Water Fellowship was birthed in that moment? All those thousands of years ago, God had a plan to bring a man named Shane to Canyon, Texas that he would get the glory through. That is really good news for us. We find ourselves in the middle of that story. Now in Habakkuk 2.14, he is pointing us to a day that it talks about in Philippians chapter 2 when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ is the King. Church, I need to tell you this morning, that day is coming. And that day is coming very soon. I'm not going to try to put a number on it. I'm not going to try to put a date on it. But that day is coming very soon. When he will not be born as a baby, but he will come as Christ the King riding in victoriously with a tattoo on his thigh, with his robe dipped in blood, everyone will know that day who Jesus is. And they will bow to him in reverence. That is what Habakkuk is pointing us to in that day. So we need to know a few things about our job description as the church. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the church in Corinth, 
2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 20 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Here's the key text. Therefore, because we know these things, we, you, are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is our job description as God's people, that we are ambassadors of reconciliation. We are his representatives here on earth. That is God's plan A, and he has no plan B. What he says goes. He is our king. And the song that the church sings in Revelation, Revelation 19, verses 6 and 7 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. We give him the glory, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every every ethnicity will stand before the throne and give glory to the lamb who was slain. In 1 Peter chapter 2, this is what Peter says to the church. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, church, I need to tell you, God is making a people not a place. God is making a body, not a building. There is nothing special about this building here. There is nothing special about the carpet or the chairs. It's what it holds. It's the people in this place. That is who God is raising up to reach this community. You say, Ricky, I, you know, I can't, I can't preach and I can't teach and I can't study the Bible. We're going to get to that in just a moment. But take heart, doubting Christian. We say with Burke Parsons, says, take heart that when Abraham was counting the stars, he was counting you too. That is really, really good news this morning. And if we can learn anything from the coronavirus pandemic, is that Zoom calls and FaceTime calls and and church online is a cheap substitute. We thank God for it. 
We thank God for the grace that he's given us during this time. But it is a cheap substitute. And I bet I could ask some of you, did you miss being with people? And you would say, yes, I miss shaking hands. I miss little kids singing the songs and hearing God's people sing together. I miss that. That is because God created us to be in community this way. And when a pandemic like this hits, we stop and we think, what is really important in life? And it's to be with God's people. So I want to land the plane with three things. I want, I want to give you three things to walk away with this morning. Number one is to trust the sovereign God whose plan is sovereign. A God who controls all things, who governs all things, who oversees all things. His plan is perfect. And it is for our good and for his glory. Billy Graham once said, I've read the last page of the Bible. Turns out everything's going to be all right. The second thing is, give yourself to discipleship. My first question is inside of this, are you being discipled? Are you sitting down with someone on a weekly basis and saying, teach me how to read the scripture? Teach me how to make observation. Teach me how to dig. Teach me how to get context. Teach me how to pray. Teach me how to love my wife well. Teach me how to love my children well. Are you in a discipleship relationship with someone? And the second part of this, giving ourselves to discipleship is, who are you discipling? Are you missing opportunities that are right underneath your nose? For some of you, your parents in this room, and I'll tell you, the greatest mission opportunity that you have could be down the hall. Are you discipling your children? Because I'll tell you this, everything that your kids are taking in is discipleship. Think about how easily the internet is to access for our kids. Are we letting the internet disciple our kids more than we are discipling our children? Don't miss those opportunities. Give yourself to discipleship. The third thing is, to give our lives to the service of God in our local body. God has called you to living water for this season, for this moment. And I'm asking you, I'm pleading with you this morning, give yourself to the service of it. This life is not about you. This whole story is not about you. We find a place in it. For sure. But all of this life is not about you. If any way that we make God look glorious, it's by putting others first. Not only those who are closest to us, but those who might be on the fringes. And I said it this morning in the first service, but could you imagine not having a family 
like the family that we have here at Living Water and going through some of the most terrible seasons in your life, maybe in your marriage, maybe at work, whatever it is, and not having a pastor to call, there are people in our community who are suffering alone. Give your life to the service of the local body. So my question is, what is God's plan for God's glory? It is to make dead people live. To make sinners into saints. To make enemies into friends. Children of wrath into adopted sons and daughters. To fill them with his spirit. To gift them for the work of ministry. To form them into families that populate the earth or that cover the sea as the waters do, like it says in Habakkuk 2.14. That's what makes God look glorious. That's what makes God look glorious. The mission statement at Living Water Fellowship is to love God, to love others, and to make disciples. That is a very simple mission statement that even children could say. And it's not like Pastor Shane went and tried to reinvent the wheel or recreate something. I'm going to give you one guess to where he went. Here, to the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about how, what, what our mission is here in Canyon, Texas? The very mission that was given from Jesus himself was given to Living Water Fellowship to love God first, to put others before you, and to continue making disciples. That is how it happens. And that's what we hope to do at Redeemer Borger. So I've got an invitation for all of us, a plea from the pulpit. Number one, the first invitation I want to make this morning is to be reconciled to God. If you find yourself apart from Christ this morning, be reconciled to God. If the Spirit is drawing you this morning, do not leave this place without talking to a pastor or a staff member so that we can pray with you, we can counsel with you. Because if the Spirit is drawing you, that's, it's important not to leave this place without talking to a, a pastor. Be reconciled to God. That is the first plea that I want to make to you. By the life of Jesus, by the death of Jesus, by his resurrection, we have eternal life. We can repent of our sin by his kindness and turn to him in submission. The second invitation is this, to remember us in prayer as we plant Redeemer Borger. There are 13,000 251 people, souls in Borger, Texas. There are about 50 evangelical churches in Borger. And on an average Sunday, all those churches are reaching about 1,000 people, way below the national average. Where are the other 12,000 people? Where are those other 12,000 souls? And here's my question to you 
Are the numbers the same in Canyon? That is a sobering thought to think that my neighbors could not know Christ. Have I engaged them with the gospel? So the second one is to to invite you to remember us in prayer as we plant in January. We will need your prayers. And this is the easiest segue for us in Borger is that we have students from all over the world come to Frank Phillips College, which is a two-year college that we're going to do ministry in there. And guess where most of those students transfer out of, uh, transfer to West Texas A&M University. How incredible would it be to send them out to West Texas A&M from Redeemer Borger and say, hey, there's a church called Living Water Fellowship who will love you and who will care for you and who will disciple you and connect them so easily that way. The third thing, the third invitation I want to make to you is this, is to get serious about the local body of Christ. Don't let this just be a place where you come and punch a ticket or you just find a seat on Sunday mornings, you give your money and you walk away. Please, please, that is not the way the church was designed to function. The church was designed to function for you to give all of your life to. And you're like, Ricky, we're so busy. We got kids sports. We got this. We got that. We got this. Maybe there's some no's in the future. Maybe there's some things that you need to lay down that have become idols in your life. Give your life to the service of the local body for the good and for the glory of God. And I asked this question as I closed in the first service. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to one day stand before an almighty maker of heaven and earth and to lose it all? God's plan for God's glory sits in this room. He has plan A, and he has no backup plan. The world will see his glory. And I pray that it's through living water. I pray that it's through Redeemer Borger. My hope. Let's pray. Eternal God, I thank you so much for the opportunity on that March date a few years ago to go down to Beach Reach and to meet Sarah and to meet some other students who are connected to Living Water Fellowship. And I thank you that we continued that relationship and that we met Pastor Shane. And I thank you for a church who is so loving, who is so giving, who wants to make disciples in Canyon. God, I ask that you would give every person in this place a passion for your glory, a passion for their neighbor, a passion for the gospel, a passion for discipleship, a passion for their local body. God, again, I thank you for this opportunity to get up here and to preach. 
The very fact that you would use me for your glory astounds me. So I'll live my life in submission to you because of that very fact that you transferred me from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I ask that we would leave this place with the gospel ringing in our ear, that you are a good God and you do good things for your people. In Jesus' name, amen.